My name's Travis. I'm the children's pastor here, and I am honored to get to share with you guys as we, we pick apart this passage of Revelation in chapter 18. You know, uh, I got a call from my dad this week, and he says, what, what did you do? And I'm like, what? 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 I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. He says, I was reading Revelation 18, and wow, you must have done something wrong to have to preach on that. So... But honestly, guys, uh, I really am honored. Uh, it's been so good to prepare for today's message and spend time in this passage. I, I love diving deep into God's word. And I just say, hey, man, the, the more mired down, the more hidden, um, the, the more I love it. And, and maybe you're like me and you just love to dig into God's word. Um, you, you love to find the nuggets and continue to learn. And I got to tell you, we've got a trip for you. If you've been around, you've heard Shane talk about it over and over again. Uh, we're going to Israel and we would love for you to come and be a part of it. Um, at this trip, we're going to dive deep into God's word. Uh, you're going to walk where Jesus walked. You're going to see the world through the eyes of a first century disciple. And scripture's going to come alive to you like never before. You're never going to forget it and you'll never be the same. So you saw the slide. Uh, get plugged in. Find out more. It's going to be a great trip. So, you know, over the past weeks, you've heard from uh, a bunch of different pastors. You've seen Pastor Ben and Kevin, and last week was Pastor Steve, before that, Pastor Andrew. And, and we're really making our way through the book of Revelation. And gosh, if you're like me, you think about Revelation, you kind of think it's crazy. I, I feel like Revelation is like the tabloids of the Bible. I mean, there's numbers and trumpets and, and seals. There's Jesus and he's got like a sword for a mouth and there's horsemen and there's these things that are covered in eyeballs and animals with all these horns and it goes on and on and on. But to be honest with you, that's just apocryphal writing for you. And it's all deeply symbolic. You see, last week, Pastor Steve, he started his message by diving into all of this symbolism and, and laying a foundation for the power of symbolism. And so we're kind of lost so many years removed. And so we've got to really study hard to understand all the symbolism in this apocryphal writing so that the original audience, they would have gotten it like that, but we've, we've got to work at it. So I encourage you, if you missed the message last week, jump online and watch it, listen to it, uh, you will be blessed by it. Because Steve opened up teaching through chapters four and five, and they really make these really big points that, that Jesus is on the throne and he is the reigning king, and Jesus is bringing victory through his sacrifice because Jesus is the redeeming lamb. And that picture of the lamb is so important. I, I actually wrote down here in my notes what Steve said, and, and this is a direct quote from him. He says, the lion-hearted, fearless king has gently and humbly come to lay down his life as a sacrificial lamb to take away the sins of the world. And I tell you what, this book of Revelation is all about that. And this message was given to a group of people who had an emperor who was essentially requiring everybody to treat him as a God, to actually sacrifice to him. 
And this letter was written from John, who is in exile on, on an island, and he's writing to help Christians be encouraged to lift up their eyes on Jesus and hold this eternal end of time perspective and encourage them that Jesus conquers. Jesus, through sacrifice, he wins. And so that was chapters four and five. We're now gonna skip chapters six through 17 and jump all the way to 18. And here's the reason, right? As we're looking at these key passages, these chapters talk about seals and trumpets and signs and and bowls. And, And really, it's an elaborate way to paint this picture of God's justice coming on earth as it is in heaven. And how conquest comes through suffering and laying down one's life and bearing witness to God just like Jesus. And it is this mercy that will bring the entire world to repentance. So that's what those chapters are about. Now we jump into 18. And um, man, over the last weeks as I've been listening to these messages and, and studying Revelation, God has really, he's rocked me. He's, he's convicted me and he's transforming me. I hope, I hope that he's doing the same for you. You see, I, I realize that I have a problem and I've had this problem for a long time. In fact, I think back to my high school days. Some of you, you're in high school now, you know it well, you were just there. And some of you are like, oh man, I don't wanna think back there, right? So when I was in high school, man, there was really three things that my eyes were on. I wanted a truck, I wanted abs, and I wanted a girlfriend. I'm pretty sure that I thought that the truck and abs would get me the girlfriend, but you know. Anyways, so. I thought, gosh, if only I had these things, uh, they're all I want, they're all I need, they're all I dream about, I'll be at the top, I'll be confident, I'll be happy, I can be proud. And you know what, I, I got all of those things. Well, I mean, sort of, the abs were like under the right light, twisting just right, you know, <laughs> one of those things. But anyways, so here's what happened. It didn't take long before my truck, it wasn't so new anymore. And that whole girlfriend thing, it was kind of complicated. Those abs, they didn't really do anything for me and they were fleeting. And so what I did when I realized those things weren't the end all be all is I shifted gears. I put my eyes on something else. I put my eyes on college, on, on building myself and going to a school that stood for something, a place where honor and integrity were valued. I wanted to go to a prestigious university that pumped out leaders and and taught values and character. Things like I won't lie, I won't cheat, and I'm not gonna tolerate the people that are like that. This, to me, sounded more lasting, right? More uh, transformative, more promising. And I, I built my life at that point around going and getting into this school. And yet again, I made it. But it didn't take long in that school for me to realize that it was hollow, that it was empty, and quite frankly, it was contrived. What was my problem? I mean, I I was a believer. I I went to church. I was in leadership. I was planning to go into full-time ministry someday. I read my Bible almost every day. I prayed regularly. I was a textbook Christian. And... I was stuck in the original problem. You guys know the Ten Commandments, right? 
uh, the very first one goes like this. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. That was the very first one, and I was breaking it. There's 10 of them. I couldn't even get past that first one, you know? I put my truck, my looks, my health, my relationships, I put all of that before God. I put me before God. I tried to build my life on morality and accomplishment and goals and success and character. It was all about me. I put myself before God. And what I was doing is I was taking these things that are good. They were all good things, but I was making them ultimate things. I'd replaced God at the center of my life. I was expecting to get peace, value, meaning from all these other things. And you know what? I still tend to do that today. How about you? Maybe as we study today's passage, I know it's deep and I know it's heavy and I know it's all doom and gloom, but I think maybe you're going to see a bit of the same in yourself, just like I do. Okay, so essentially we've, we've read our passage today. It's all about the destruction of Babylon and it's going to come swiftly and permanently. And Babylon, just to catch you up, is an ancient city. It sat about 55 miles south of modern-day Baghdad. It was the city from which the Babylonian Empire ruled much of the world. And Revelation's talking all about the destruction of this great power city. But you gotta understand that it's not actually talking about the physical Babylon, but rather Babylon is a symbol. You see, the description of Babylon, It's actually quoting a bit of Isaiah and Jeremiah, a bit of Ezekiel, where they're talking about, yes, Babylon, but also Tyre and Edom and and various power cities in the ancient world. And Babylon here is used as a kind of archetype of a kind of city, a city that's built on the spirit of power, of ambition and pleasure, a spirit of control and wealth, uh, military might and a booming economy if you will. And from what you likely remember from history class, Babylon sounds a lot like Rome. And the original readers would have noted that. Now think back. I, I want you to get the, the origin of this city that is, that is Babylon. And maybe you remember a story in Genesis about the Tower of Babel. In fact, that's the origin point of Babylon. And, 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 and look at this, found in Genesis eleven four. Come, let us build ourselves a city. Remember, this is, this is the Tower of Babel with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for who? Ourselves. Let us build a city so that we may na- make a name for ourselves. Do you see the spirit of ambition, the spirit of, of power? From the very beginning, this city was about the self. This archetype city of Babylon is all about the self. It's a place where pride, it runs free, and it's all about our name. 
And so we're reading about the ultimate end of this kind of city, this, this Babylon type city. And I want you to, to hold that in your mind now. Okay, so you have Babylon, which is this archetype city that elevates the self, self and power and wealth. And what we're gonna do for just a moment is we're gonna jump ahead out of chapter 18 and we're gonna go to chapter 21 of Revelation because I want you to see another city in this book. You can read along here, it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of the heavens from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. He will be, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. You see, we have this Babylon over here in chapter 18 and then in chapter 21, we have the new Jerusalem this new city that God has made. And we're gonna jump a little bit further and head to this this city in Revelation 22. Check this out. It says, the angel showed me the river of the water of life as, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and on the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding the fruit every month and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the lamb will be in the city. Now here's what I want you to notice about the city, this new Jerusalem, right? You notice that there's a river in the city. Did you see that? And there's a tree in the city, right? You saw a river and you saw a tree. Now when you're thinking about biblical cities, There's another one that has a tree and a river, but we've got to go all the way back from the end of the Bible to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. And we're going to read about it here. Genesis 2 says this. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. You've you've heard of Eden, right? In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was split into four headwaters. Now, did you notice that? Did you notice that again we have this tree and then we have a river? You see, this new Jerusalem that is talked about in Revelation is actually Eden, is actually Eden. You see, Eden is coming back. You see, God is the original author of the city. He created it. But but there's more. I want you to see that this spans the entire length of the Bible of what God is doing. You guys, you guys know Abraham. Abraham, he's the patriarch of the Israelites, right? And we're going to read about him and what it says in the book of Hebrews, the, this, this, this faith-filled people, the hall of faith. And it says this about Abraham. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. Do you see what Jesus is about? Do you see what God's about? From the very beginning, God was creating a city. He invented 
the city, his plan, and we see it all through scripture, was to create a place for humanity and God to come together. We see it in Genesis and we see it in Revelation. And sin destroyed that city. That's what we're seeing in Babylon. Now, I know many of you, you've, you've dreamed about heaven, you've thought about heaven, I've done it, and, and chances are when we think about heaven, uh, there's not actually a lot of people there. Um, there's the people that you love and the people that you care about, but you know, you guys are like, we're on a beach or you know, some secluded island, or maybe you're in the mountains, but the reality is God's plan for heaven is for us to be together in the multitudes in a city. So if you've got a problem with people, if you don't like people, I'm not sure you're gonna like heaven so much, right? Here's the deal. Revelation is painting a picture of two cities. And, we, and they're not literal, but it's this spirit of Babylon and the spirit of the new Jerusalem. And so with this framework, we're not just witnessing the destruction of Babylon or the destruction of Rome, but rather we're witnessing the destruction of the spirit of Babylon. We are talking about the ultimate destruction of sin an anti-God way of thinking, an anti-God way of believing and living, and we're seeing it destroyed here in chapter 18. And, and though it sounds doom and gloom, isn't that a message of hope? Isn't that what we want? We want sin to be destroyed? Yeah, that's what we want. John's writing this letter to Christians who are being violently persecuted and it's not going away anytime soon. And he reminds Christians to stand strong. Yes, there's gonna be suffering. Yes, some of you will die. Jesus said, take up your cross, right? If they persecuted him, so much more they're gonna persecute us. But in the end, Jesus reigns supreme and we have ultimate victory in him. The spirit of Babylon, the spirit of persecution in, in Rome, it will come to an end utterly and finally it will be destroyed. And that is a message of hope. Jesus made a way, God wins. And that is a message that we need to hear today. If you're discouraged about the state of things, in our country, in our state, in our city, or in your home, you need to be encouraged because Jesus will prevail. He will overcome. And that is this ultimate message of revelation. If you were here last week, that's exactly what Steve was pointing out in chapters four and five. We've gotta know that God is on the throne and he reigns and the lamb will overcome. But there is some nuance to this chapter here. There's a reason that it's so dark and so heavy. This message of hope and victory is also wrapped in a warning. And I think that this warning is really important for us today here in 2022, here in America. You see, It's easy to get caught up in this hope and excitement. And in many ways we should in this ultimate victory. We see the new Jerusalem, the spirit of Babylon, uh, and we just kind of naturally assume the destruction of Babylon is kind of for them and the new Jerusalem. Well, I mean, it's for us, isn't it? 
But you know what? If we read at the beginning of chapter 18, it says this. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. Look at what it says there. Come out of her. This is not a literal city, so it can't mean to leave, right? It means don't live by the spirit of Babylon. And who is this addressing? It says, my people. It's us. That's us. It's us as Christians, as Jesus followers. North Point, that is us. It's a warning to us because the spirit of Babylon is so tempting. I mean, all of the kings of the nations fell prey to it. Look, Revelation 18, 9 says, when the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury, the kings of the earth, they saw wealth in Babylon. They saw power in Babylon. They saw comfort. They exchanged the things of God for that wealth and comfort and easy life and pleasure life and fun. And don't we value those things? I mean, don't we like those things? I mean, I I do. You see, the things Babylon offers, they do seem pretty nice. Nice clothes, easy meals, entertainment, unlimited data, and on and on and on, right? I mean, the things of Babylon, they sound great. That's where I want to go. And that's the temptation. Look at what it was saying about the merchants, remember? It goes on this exhaustive list of stuff. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, every sort of whatever weird wood, right? And articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble. And it just goes on and on and on about the wealth of these merchants. And these things are things that we want. I mean, maybe not exactly, but they're symbolic of the things that we want, right? And this is what happens. It says, they, they will say, these merchants, the fruit you longed for is gone from you. All your riches and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at their torment. Babylon being destroyed is torment for the merchants and the kings and the sea captains, Right? They will cry out, woe, woe, oh great city, dressed in fine linen and purple, and on and on the wealth. Woe, woe, because everything that they have built their life on is gone. There's nothing left of them. When they lose their stuff, when they lose their power, when they lose all that is Babylon, they're empty husks of people. You see, here's the, here's the thing. I, I skipped over a, a passage in there and, and, I, and I want you to see this. Maybe you want to underline it. It says in this list, of, exhaustive list of all these things that Babylon had, it says, and bodies and souls of men. And bodies and souls of men. Do you see how people are thrown in as a commodity? 
they're valued just like the wealth and the things, the stuff. Here's, here's the deal. Here's the thing. Living for things other than Jesus, living for anything other than Jesus, ultimately builds a city where people are simply valued as a commodity. History has taught us, let this sink in, living for things other than Jesus ultimately builds a city where people are simply valued as a commodity. And that, friends, that's the spirit of Babylon. That's where it leads. That's why God is destroying it. The issue is not wealth. The issue is not government or organization or hierarchy. No, no, no. Those things aren't bad. The great sin of Babylon is exchanging God for some good things. Exchanging God for the elevation of the self. When you live life in an anti-God spirit, it destroys the city, it destroys humanity, and it wreaks havoc on everything. And this is the root of the problem. You see, remember, God created the city and sin destroyed it. And so today in our country, there's conversations going on about abortion and about race and sexuality and violence and poverty and justice and on and on and on. And there's so much tension and it's so volatile and it's the spirit of Babylon that is the problem. If you are looking at anything but Jesus as your source, as your identity, as your purpose for a solution to what is wrong, if you're hoping that a plan or a leader or a philosophy or a party or an ideology is going to bring salvation, is going to bring peace, is going to bring unity, you're going to run short. The root of the issue is right here. It's the spirit of Babylon. And only Jesus has the solution. We've got to live in the spirit of the new Jerusalem. The end of our passage just continues to echo and, and bring home this reality. It says this, your merchants were the world's great men. By your magic spell, the spirit of Babylon, all the nations were led astray. And get this, in her was found the blood of prophets and of the saints and of all who have been killed on earth. All death is laid at the feet of the spirit of Babylon. The world has been led astray Guys, it's not hard. You look into history and you see it. There are two cities. And we today have a choice. The same choice that the original readers of Revelation had. Will you live in the spirit of Babylon or will you live in the spirit of the new Jerusalem? This is the question. This is the question of life. What city are we gonna live in? And you've got to sit down and think really hard about this. What does it mean to be part of the new Jerusalem? 
What does it mean to put God first in every area of my life? And I'm speaking, gosh, especially to the kings here. A lot of you, you don't think about yourselves as kings, but do you wield power? If you're a parent, you do. The merchants here, the artists here, the technicians here, who are you sleeping with professionally and and spiritually? If it's on the earth and in the spirit of Babylon, you will eventually be terrified by her torment. Are you following this right? I mean, that's if you decide to take your abilities and cheat and lie and pad your account and and break God's law, which it talks about honesty and integrity and, and purity, right? Instead of trying to serve people through your business, for example, through your gifts, and, and, and if, you, if you stop doing that, if you stop trying to serve people, if you stop trying to be honest, if you stop trying to serve God and to serve your neighbor, eventually what you've done is you've bought into the system of Babylon. Eventually you're gonna be terrified because it's, it's all gonna fall short and be destroyed. Penultimately right here, and eventually it will happen at the end of time. Have you been living in a modern day Babylon? Think back to the words of the Babylonians. They said, let us make a name for ourselves. You have talents, you have ambition, you have dreams, and you can either use those abilities to make a name for yourself or to honor God. A city can either be a city forming a culture that glorifies humanity, that glorifies the self, that maximizes our bank accounts, that maximizes our egos, or we can build this culture that honors God. It's up to us. That's what God's saying here. Which city are you building? Let me put it this way. What are you, what are you living for? What's the trajectory of your life? We gotta take a long moment and we gotta think really hard, really deep down, what are we living for? There's two cities that are constantly at war with each other, but, but please don't oversimplify. Remember, this, this message is for the Christians. It's easy to say, oh, you know, all those people, there's a lot of people that aren't Christians, and well, I mean, there are a lot that are, but, but as we read Revelations, we often tend to think that like, you know, Christians, they're like the city of God and like the non-Christians, they're the city of Babylon. It's far more complicated than that. Remember, come out of her, my people. The fact of the matter is there are plenty of people who, though they may actually be converted Christians, the way in which they conduct their lives, their, their personal ethics, their relationships, the way in which they do their business It's unhelpful and it's selfish. They're participating in the systems of Babylon. And and here's the question, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, are you really giving yourself wholly to the city of God? What does that mean? It's not just I'm converted, God has given me forgiveness of sins and I can face my problems. No, in Every area of our life, God has to be supreme. In fact, write that in. How, how do you live a, a life in the new Jerusalem? How do, you, how do you build the new Jerusalem? Well, you start by making sure that God is supreme in all areas of your life. God has to be supreme in all 
areas of life. He's got, to be, he's got to be the foundation of everything you think and everything you do in business, in school, socially, at home. You think, do, do you value individuals? Are you investing in society? Are you creating a society for people? Are you thinking about people that you serve next year and next decade? Are you thinking about their eternity and where they're going? Do you work to help others? Do you do things that maybe they're not the best for you, but they are the best for him or her or them or the customer? I say it again, what city are you building? It's the question of a lifetime. God has to be the motivation for everything that you do. And so I wanna share with you guys just a quick couple of tips on how to do this. How do, we, how do we make sure God is supreme in all areas of our lives? Well, the first thing is this, write this in. You have to realize that you are working from a point of failure. You gotta realize that, that we are all working from a point of failure. We've messed up. We have been working in the spirit of Babylon. All of us have. All of us have. And, and, and scripture tells us, right? This famous passage in Romans, Romans 8, I mean, sorry, Romans 3, 10 reminds us, as the scriptures say, right, no one is righteous, not even one. So you got to start from the very beginning and you got to say, you know what? I'm guilty. Guys, I stood up here before you all and said, I've been guilty of this a long time. And I'm constantly fighting this. I see news articles and it's creeping up in my heart and the way that my kids react to me, it creeps up and on and on and on. We've got to start out with this, this mindset, all right, I'm guilty. Because once you start out with that, this mindset, you can very easily move to step two, which is really about digging into your heart, right? We've got to find the areas of our life where God isn't supreme, and so write this in number two, identify current Babylon building inclinations. You got to identify the places in your life where you're living by the spirit of Babylon. And we all have them. We all have them. So four places to look in your life, looking for that spirit of Babylon. First, look at your thoughts. And what I mean by this is, what do you think about when you have free time? What do you think about when you don't have to be doing something? Where is your daydreaming taking you? You need to take a look at that because it's possible that there's some Babylon building hidden in there that is taking your eyes from Jesus. You also have to look at your bank account. You can write that one in. Look at your bank account. Look at where you're spending your money because where your money goes, there your heart is. That can be an indicator of where you're building a Babylon. Look at your prayers. Doesn't that sound silly? Look at your prayers. Look at your prayers. Look at what you're asking God for. Look at what you're begging God for. Because just maybe the thing that you so badly want from God 
is way off base and God's saying, no, 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 no. That's the worst thing you could have right now. That will take you away from me. And then look at your biggest emotions. Look at your biggest emotions. Because chances are behind that biggest feeling, that biggest emotion, that biggest reaction, there's some Babylon stuff going on there. You know what I'm saying, right? So first, we mess up, right? We're gonna look for areas in our life where we're messing up. And then three, guys, this is crazy simple, fall in love with Jesus. If you were here a few weeks ago, Pastor Andrew was here and all your feelings were like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's because that's the solution. That is the solution, right? Fall in love with Jesus. We read about this very same thing, this Babylon building in the book of Colossians. And it says, put that Babylon stuff to death. It says, so put, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. So it says, it says, don't fall for the spirit of Babylon, but it shows us what we ought to do. It shows us how do we live in the spirit of Jerusalem. We go back to verse one and it says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. So what is the antidote for Babylon living? How can you be sure that you're living by the spirit of the new Jerusalem? Well, you look at the things of heaven. You're constantly pondering them and diving into them and evaluating them. It's the things of heaven. You're constantly learning and engaging Jesus. You are falling in love with Jesus. And so here's the deal. When you feel like your home is not big enough, nice enough, cute enough, or clean enough, look to heaven. When you're wondering, how am I ever gonna pay for my next car, my next computer, my next set of clothes, my next prescription, look to heaven. Before you head to your next business planning meeting, look to heaven. Before you get fired up about this branch of government or that side of the aisle or those people, look to heaven, look to Jesus. Before you go to Costco or Amazon or Target or wherever it is that you shop, look to heaven, right? When you're shopping for birthday presents or an anniversary or for Christmas presents, you gotta first look to heaven. Anytime you think, this is a dangerous thought, anytime you think, if they would only, if they would only, you are living by the spirit of Babylon and you need to look to heaven. You gotta stop and ponder these things. You gotta stop and ponder the reign of God, the new Jerusalem. 
You know another word that describes that? Worship. Stop and worship the Lord. Because when you worship God, when you see him in the right place in your life, in the right place in your home, in the right place in our country, and in the right place in the universe, when you see that God loves you dearly, that you've been adopted into his family, that you're a child of God, that he has created and he's creating a place for you to come and be, that he has defeated Babylon, the sinful, corrupt city? Gosh, when you see God, you can't help but put your faith in him and you can't help but live in the new Jerusalem. It just is gonna come out so naturally when you do that. Here's the deal, building the new Jerusalem, it's gonna be tough and there's gonna be suffering and we've gotta persevere. But we got together. Together, North Point, together we've got to put others first. We've got to choose people over things. We've got to choose God's way of self-sacrifice. Can you imagine what our homes would be like? Could you imagine what our cities, Fresno and Kerman and wherever it is you're watching from, can you imagine what it would be like if all of us put down the things of Babylon and we lived for Jesus and the new Jerusalem and we lived for God. Man, it's like heaven would come to earth. Maybe God had a plan for that, huh? Guys, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your love for us. God, we wanna live for Jesus, we want to be a part of the new Jerusalem. God, help us to put down our Babylon ways of living. Take ourselves off the seat of this throne and put you there, God. God, we want to be a part of bringing the new Jerusalem here, God. And so we say, use us, Jesus. We are yours. In Jesus' name, amen.